Amen. I can't believe that one day I will be in the presence of my Father. And I will tell you, one of the first things that comes to my mind is my earthly father. And I think about his love for me, and he's been gone for 25 years. And I'll be honest with you, this sounds funny, but my greatest struggle has not been um, struggling with God loving me because I didn't have a loving father. I've actually struggling that God could actually love me as much as my earthly father. And I know that's a little strange thing, but um, when I really reflect on the fact of uh, God loves me exceedingly more than any earthly father ever could. And you say, preacher, I didn't have an earthly father like that. Well, I got really good news for you. You got a heavenly father like that. And uh, the problem is we all have a hard time comprehending no matter what kind of father we had, good or bad or non-existent. The truth is uh, God loves us more, so much more. It's hard to comprehend it, isn't it? That God loves us. And that's just a remarkable thing. I, I get overwhelmed by it. And yet I believe we're going to do something tonight. I don't, I'll be honest with you. I don't know. Somebody, I'm somebody's, I don't know what it is with Canaan Baptist Church. You guys must pray or something. I don't know what it is. But I'm getting ready to preach. And the Lord, I'm scribbling down. I shouldn't admit this to you, but I'm going to preach stuff that I just, uh, the Lord laid on my heart like a half an hour before the message. Uh, I'm thinking this is a little, this is different. I'm usually, um, uh, it's like uh, the Lord just laying things on my heart. So um, I just want to, uh, last night I kind of got burdened about some things and, and put those together. And I'm actually into part two. So here is uh, How to Raise a Rebel, part two. And uh, I started uh, putting, you know, I forgot this, I forgot this. No, what about this? And what about this? And pretty soon I was in trouble. Okay, I had a message and the Lord began to give me a burden to preach it. And so I want to just continue to deal with how to raise a rebel. And one of the reasons I do this, or I believe God's leading us because there's so many parents in the room tonight. I just want to kind of confirm this. Of course, children's meeting gives us a little bit of an idea. Uh, you may raise your hand several times, but how many of you are parenting somebody that's preschool? Let's just say age five or down. Can I see you're parenting somebody that is preschool? Okay, great. Uh, you can pray for these people that just raise their hand. Okay. And how many are praying for, uh, let's just say elementary. Let's go six through 11. Six through 11. Okay. Parenting six through 11. Okay, great. And uh, how many are parenting Teenagers, 12, let's just go 12 to 19, 12 to 19. Really pray for these people. Unbelievable, 12 to 19. And then college age, let's just go 20 to 25. College age, 20 to 25. And how many are adult children? Let's just go 26 and older, 26 and older. Okay, we got all kinds of parents all over here. How many are grandparents? Can I see your hands, please? Wow. How many are great-grandparents? Okay. How many are great-great? No, I'm just teasing. Okay. If uh, there might be a great-great, I don't know, uh, in the room here tonight. But, got, you know, everybody at all, all kinds of different levels. Some are prospective parents. Some of the singles are hoping they'll one day be a parent and got all kinds of, and everything in between. And some of the younger kids knowing they never will be a parent, at least at this point. I've got great footage of one of my daughters saying I'll never get married. We're going to definitely use that at her wedding. But... Um, <laughs> That's a stage I guess kids go through. But uh, I want to just continue to deal with this subject matter. And I introduced it last night. I won't reintroduce it except to say that uh, the Bible gives us some truth that can be a help to us when it comes to parenting. And I feel like we can uh, continue to develop some of this tonight. But I got some burdens in my heart tonight, some things that uh, we'll continue to add on. Because I do believe that God, uh, God is interested in the next generation. And God wants us to raise up a godly seed. And I'm convinced with all my heart and life that our children are going to face things that we did not face. And I want to tell you something. I've thought about the fact that my daughters could face martyrdom. They could face martyrdom. And sometimes as a parent, you're saying, God, I don't want my kids to go there. But then it hit me. Whatever my kids will face, if they'll walk with God, God will give them the grace to face it. And God can raise them up to be mighty men and women at a critical time in this country's history or the world's history. And I want to tell you something, friends. I don't know what God has for my kids, but I will tell you this. Uh, whatever God's will is, that's what I want. That's what I want. And none of us are perfect parents. We're all human beings. And all of us recognize, as I mentioned last night, we got kids that different strengths, different weaknesses, different dispositions, different personalities. And uh, as a result, uh, we come to recognize we need God. We need God. So let's continue. Of course, many of these principles, even if you're not a parent, can help you in life. So I'm going to ask you to go to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22, again, we'll be turning quite a bit tonight. Proverbs 22, I just touched on this last night, realized I did not fully develop it. It certainly needs to be developed. You want to raise a rebel. And of course, we're coming on the backward side. 
Obviously, you don't want to do these things. But the very first thing I want you to understand if you want to raise a rebel is don't discipline. Don't discipline. Look at verse number 6 of uh, Proverbs 22, verse number 6. Train up a child on the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. You could also say, train up a child in the way he should not go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Can I say this to every parent in this room? It's not a matter of whether you're training or whether you're not. All of us are training. See, the truth is, are you training them in the way they should go? Are you training them in the way they shouldn't go? You say, what in the world do you mean by that? Okay, it's like this, friends. When my dad, uh, how many remember the old commercial that said, when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. I remember that. Okay, yeah, this is a generational thing. Uh, E.F. Hutton had nothing on my dad. When dad, my dad spoke, I listened. I, I don't know how my dad taught it to me, but somewhere along the line when I was a little tyke, he taught me that when I speak, I want you to listen. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, as I've already mentioned, uh, this is in the context of a dad who unconditionally loved me. But uh, I will tell you, because he loved me, his rule was this. Uh, the last safe moment to obey is when I speak one time in a normal tone of voice. When I'm home, I will tell you this. This excuse never held water with my dad. Dad, I didn't hear you. That never held water in our home. If my dad spoke, you listened. And I will tell you, from the mo earliest moments till the moment my dad went to heaven and my dad spoke, I was listening. And obviously in later years, it wasn't because I was in fear. It's because I wanted to listen. He always had profound things he was saying, and I was intrigued by it. And, uh, but the point, friends, is your training. My dad taught me I speak one time in a normal tone of voice, and that's when you obey. Now, I want to ask you a question. How do you train your kids? Five times? Raising my voice, then you obey? You're training them. You're training them but you're training them the wrong way. See, everybody's training out here. Everybody is. It's just, are you training them? It's like this. Uh, if you train them to listen to you, pretty good chance they'll listen to God too. See, a lot of things when it comes to discipline and training, we're going to see in a moment have spiritual ramifications. But the thing I want every parent to understand is when it comes to discipline, you're really training them one way or another. Are you training them that they... Um, the last safe moment to obey is uh, after you've said it five times and you raised your voice and threatened this and threatened that. Or do they know that they'll obey when they get bribed? My dad didn't bribe me. He said it one time, normal tone of voice, and if you didn't do it, then there were consequences. I want to tell you something, friends. I'm going to tell you with all my heart, I am so glad my dad loved me that he trained me in the way I should go. Amen. And by the way, young people, if you are the kind that pushed the envelope and your parents let you push the envelope, I'm telling you right now, if you've got a brain between your ears, and I hope you do, you'll stop doing that and just start obeying the first time they listen and you'll be the beneficiary, even if your parents were to let you get away with it. You just need to realize that's the way, because that's the way it's going to be in life. You know, sometimes, friends, I'll be honest with you, it's just today, obviously, where, why do you think people don't have respect for police? And I'm going to tell you why. Because they don't have respect for their parents. That's right. And uh, goes, they don't have respect for any of their authorities because they don't have respect for their parents. Their parents do not demand the kind of obedience God wants. So train up a child. You're going to train them up one way or the other. You're training them. So think about how you train them. Now you say, why is that so significant? Look over to chapter 23 and look at verse number, this is unbelievable. Look at verse number 13. Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest one with the rod, and I know sometimes people say, well, it's child abuse. Well, obviously, my dad didn't use a rod, he used a belt. But nonetheless, withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with the rod, he shall not die. Okay, in other words, he may sound like he's dying, but he's not going to die. Okay. Thou shalt beat him with the rod, and notice what the next phrase says. And shalt deliver his soul from hell. Amen. Amen. Have you ever recognized that your consistency and discipline actually sets your kid up to either accept the gospel or to reject the gospel? 
And many times we don't put this together. You say, preacher, what in the world is this talking about? God says, if you don't correct your child and he thinks he can get away with sin, he says, you're setting your kid up to reject the gospel. Okay, so here it is in the home. Son, uh, go clean your room. Now, son, I told you clean the room. Now, son, if you don't clean your room, you're going to get some discipline. Now, son, I told you, you better clean your room. If you don't clean your room, you're going to, and it goes on. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not telling you again. And then you tell him three more times. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't clean your room, you're going to get, and you know, he knows judgment threat. Don't miss this. Judgment never comes. So one day a preacher gets up and he thunders forth the gospel. Men are sinners. We deserve judgment in hell. Jesus loved us, died on the cross, shed his blood. You trust him, he'll save you. And the kid laughs. Yeah, I heard that before. Judgment threatened, judgment doesn't come. May I say this, you may be inconsistent, but God isn't. Amen. You die in your sins a sinner, you'll die in your sins and go to hell. And you don't have to because Jesus loved you, died on a cross, shed his blood. But if you stiff arm him and reject him, you have no hope of salvation. Now, if you're out here thinking, laughing about that, I probably you come from a home there wasn't a lot of discipline in it. Yeah, I heard that before. I'm going to just tell you now, discipline's very important. The Bible tells us you're either setting your kids up to reject the gospel or accept the gospel. It's a big deal. Amen. It is a big deal. Amen. And I'm so grateful. My parents deeply love. By the way, the reason you discipline a child is because you're crazy about them. Whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as the father, the son in whom he delighteth. And I've said this before here, I'm not maybe sure last night I said it, but I want to make sure it's clear that when you discipline your kid, he should walk away from that discipline absolutely convinced that you delight in him. So I got a question, when you discipline your kids, do they walk away believing you delight in them? Because they should. In other words, it's like this, son, God's going to use you, God's got a plan for your life. Now we got to deal with this because it's going to, it's going to hinder what God wants to do in your life. There's not a kid in the room that would walk away from that thinking, wow. My parents delight in me. They believe in me. That's why they're not letting me get away with this junk. That's why God disciplines us. He doesn't hate us. He loves us. He's saying, this isn't going to work in your life. we got to deal with this because I love you. I'm dealing with this. And I want you to understand that's how God deals with it. But today we have all these parents that deal with kids because, how do I say this? They discipline their kids because those kids messed up their life. They're embarrassed or they're just selfish. Like, you messed everything up, so I'm going to... And a kid knows that. A kid knows when you're disciplining them because you love them or you love yourself. A kid knows. He knows. And when you discipline because you love yourself, it's not going to do any good. In fact, it will harden them. There are probably people in this room that chafe at discipline because you were disciplined by a mother or father that did it only because they loved themselves. And you were making their life uncomfortable and they didn't like it. If you were ever disciplined by a parent that absolutely was crazy about you and loved you and wanted to make sure you got that junk out of your life so God could use you, you, didn't, you realize now you absolutely love them. You love them and are thankful they didn't let you get away with that garbage. See, so understand, discipline is very important to have the right motive. It's because we love. It's because we're selfless. It's because we delight in our kids. We want the best for them. So please understand. So... Uh, let me, just, let me just put it to you this way. I, I'm not trying to be unkind. I, I just got burdened tonight, so you just, uh, it's just like this. Uh, sometimes, you, I don't know how to explain it as a preacher, you just throw a bunch of stuff on the crock pot, and the first audience that the crock pot explodes get the real deal. You know what I'm talking about? So the crock pot might be exploding tonight, okay? So you just hang with me here. Listen, you have your kids in music lessons, and they don't practice. You're teaching, you're training them the wrong way. Listen, I, I have daughters that teach. I mean, I would say between all three of my daughters, they probably teach, I'm guessing, 50, 60, 70 kids a week. And I will tell you what absolutely is hard on my daughters is when they teach a kid for a half hour a week and they don't practice a lick all week long. You know what they will tell you about that kid? They're not going to progress. And I'm telling you, I don't necessarily blame the kids because when I was seven years old, I didn't practice because, oh, I want to do this. You know why I practiced at seven years old? Because my mom made me. I have a lot of fun with little kids. In fact, I've done it, I think, a few of you are out here. I'll say, what place do you play? Well, I play a violin. I said, well, you like it? Well, kind of. I said, could, if you give it up, would you? Oh, absolutely I would. <laughs> All my girls would have given up the violin in elementary school. But you know, my mom didn't let them. My mom, my wife didn't let them. 
my mother, my kid's mother wouldn't let them. Okay, you know what I'm talking about. She wouldn't let them. And I'm telling you, those girls, I'm not telling you you have to do this. You Sometimes people look at my daughters and say, man, are they good. Yeah, well, that was two hours a day when they're eight years old. Now, I'm not saying you have to make a kid's practice two hours a day, but I want to tell you something, they practice two hours a day, oh, when they're 20 years old, you're going to know that kid's good. But no, you know what the problem is? It takes discipline to discipline. You know why most parents don't discipline? Because they're not disciplined. Isn't it interesting the word discipline is not just used for correction, it's used for self-discipline in our own lives? It takes discipline to discipline. And the truth is, friends, if you've got a kid in music lessons here at Canaan, and by the way, nobody's telling me out here that a bunch of kids aren't practicing, but I'm telling you, you've got to make them practice because if you don't make them practice, you're teaching them the wrong thing about life. See, you're training your kids. You're going to train them one way or the other. You're going to train them. Boy, we're not getting any amens on those with Brother Ingram. I'm telling you what, the place is dried up. I think many of them are making plans not to come back tomorrow night. Many of them are wishing Wednesday night was the last night. Okay, here it is. Listen, I'm not against homeschooling. God knows I homeschooled my three girls. But I'm telling you, if you homeschool, you ought to have structure and discipline. I guarantee you one day homeschooling will be illegal in this country. I guarantee you. You mark my words. And I'm going to tell you why it's going to be illegal. Because of the parents that weren't disciplined enough to give their kids an education. I'm just telling you right now. I'm just telling you. You're training your kids one way or another. And you say, well, preacher, I got problems. Well, get to your pastor. Get to some help. And say, I don't care what it takes. I got to get some discipline in my life so I can transfer it to my kids. It doesn't happen automatically. If you want a kid in college who knows how to get up at 6 o'clock, spend an hour with God, get their homework done, minister to people, go to bed at night realizing they have been used of God, you're going to have to teach them how to do that. It doesn't happen automatically. And I will tell you, I'm a vice president of a Bible college, and for 22 years, I have tell you, I can tell you, our faculty staff says, every year it gets tougher and tougher because the kids come on with less structure and discipline. They just don't know how to, they don't know how to order their lives. They don't know how to organize a day. <laughs> so, uh, you want to raise a rebel? Don't discipline them. Don't train them. Well, you do train them, but don't train them the right way. Okay, now let's go to the second one. Default to anger. Back to Proverbs 22. We've talked a little bit about anger, but I feel like i got to do more. So, let's look at verses 24, would you? 22, 24. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Now I want you to see verse 25. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to his soul. You can be angry, mom, and you can be angry, dad, but you will teach your kids how to be angry, and you will snare their soul. I remember I was talking at a church in Tampa, Florida, a large church, and a staff member came up to me and said, Brother Van Gelder, and he said, Man, you described me on Sunday night. He said, that was me. He said, my dad's angry. He said, I hate to tell you he's a pastor. He was not from that church, but uh, he's a pastor. My grandfather's angry, and here's what he says. And so am I. You know what happened to that boy? He learned his dad's ways. He learned his ways. Listen. I'm telling you right now, if you've got an angry parent, you don't have to be angry teenagers. You do not have to be. But you are going to be tempted to be because you will learn their ways. I will tell you, I'm just going to be honest to every dad out here. When that guy comes looking for your girl, if you've got a brain between your ears, you're going to ask him about moral purity and you're going to ask him about anger. Amen. Don't let your girls marry an angry young man. Don't let them. I'm just telling you, anger is a big deal. And you can't, listen, some of you kids out here, yeah, well, my dad's angry. I got a problem too. You're going to answer to God for it. God's grace is bigger than that. You can't blame your dad. You got to deal with it. Amen. But uh, you want to raise a rebel? Default to anger. And I just really believe anger is one of those issues that is not often dealt with. But I can say this now after done 38 years of ministry, it's one of the biggest issues we deal with, the fallout of anger dealing with teenagers who are bitter because of it. So where does anger come out? It obviously comes out between parents. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But it also comes out, obviously, toward the kids. 
Dr. Ted Roberts of the Conqueror series, and I know you folks are very familiar with the Conqueror series, but Dr. Ted Roberts, I believe it's in his book, Pure Desire, but I can't remember exactly, said this. 98% of all young men who are in sexual addictions, now that could be pornography, it could be sexual sin, fornication, it could be same-sex attraction, it could be any of those issues of sexual addictions. 98% of all men in sexual addictions, according to Ted Roberts, have deep father wounds in their soul. Amen. That's stunning. Deep father wounds in their soul. Now, again, there's, again, no excuse. Certainly won't want the next generation to say, well, it's not my fault because there have to make, you have to make wrong choices toward that. But sexual addictions many times are uh, obviously come, or the catalyst, I should say, the catalyst is wounding that comes from angry parents. I was reading a Covenant Eyes article, I'd say, four years ago now, and while I was reading it, something was said in that Covenant article that absolutely blew me away. Here's what it said. You show me a guy's sexual addiction, and I will show you their wound. Amen. Now, this is stunning. So I began, as I've been on this journey, preaching on it. I haven't done a lot of preaching this, this week on it, but I did some on Sunday. But as I preached on this and had young men come to me, and sometimes older men come to me, and sometimes I'll mention that to them, and I said, is there any connection between the kind of moral uh, sin that you are uh, drawn to and the wound that you have? And I have been amazed at the connection. It's like this. Satan is no dummy. He likes to take wounding that has occurred in your heart and he sexualizes it. I believe a lot of the mess today we're in sexually has become because people are wounded and Satan has sexualized the wound. Amen. I remember one guy I was dealing with said he was bullied in school, had a deep wound because he was bullied. And I hate to even mention this, so I'm going to be very vague in what I say, but he was drawn toward bondage pornography. He was, how do I say this, bullied, and so he found fulfillment in his mind bullying. And there was a connection there. He saw it just clear as a bell. I've had other people... Some of the same gender stuff comes from the same wounding. There's a wounding and there's a searching for fulfillment from that same gender and it gets sexualized in a way that is unhealthy. And so these are, these are things that are happening. And I'm telling you, friends, a lot of it is not always anger. Sometimes it's absence. And sometimes it's other father wounds or mother wounds. But let me just simply say, you want to raise a rebel? Default to anger. Number three. Don't spend any time with your kids. Proverbs 29, verse 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, and a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. It's like this. Sometimes people say, well, I don't have a lot of time, so I spend quality time. Now, listen, I'm all for quality time, but I'm telling you, friends, when it comes to your kids, it better be a lot enough time. <laughs> I will tell you, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a schedule to spend time with your kids? Because you should. Almost every Saturday morning, I would say to one of my, we had a rotation. I'd say to one of my girls, okay, it's your time. They'd hop in the truck and we, we would go out for breakfast. I mean, we had fun with it. We have all the apps. So we go to McDonald's and get one thing on sale. Go to Wendy's, get another thing. Go to Burger King, another thing on sale. We would think, hey, mom and dad, we came back, we ate for only four bucks. I mean, we had fun with it. We really did. But you know, I would take those girls, put them in the truck, and I don't know how to tell you this, from the moment they're in the truck to the moment I brought them back, they talked nonstop. Now, I know that you ladies, that's a shock that that would happen. <laughs> but I will tell you, those are some of the, I still, I still take my girls out for breakfast. Hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. Time. Amen. My brother John's a, two years younger than I. He's an evangelist. I was a senior. He was a sophomore. And I didn't see it. I wasn't spiritually mature enough, but he was beginning to get affected by peer pressure. I don't know to what degree. I probably didn't have a lot of spiritual perception at that time. But my older brother had just come back, was youth pastor there for my dad. And one day he walked into my dad's office and he said, Dad, you're losing John. And if you don't do something about it, you're going to lose him. My brother Wayne said later he felt bad about it. 
My dad humbly acknowledged the problem. He said, Wayne, I've been too busy. I, I, I agree with you. And, and my dad, brother John said later, he said, it was kind of strange. Dad started saying, hey, John, let's go get lunch together. And every week, my dad would take my brother out for uh, lunch while everybody else went to the lunchroom at the Christian school. He had no agenda. He wasn't trying to, didn't bring him out to say anything. He was spending time with him to connect with him. And I will tell you, that's what it takes. It takes time. You want to raise a rebel? Don't spend time with your kids. Time is important. It's the greatest commodity you have. Could be tucking them into bed at night. Breakfasts, vacations, whatever are all apart. Spending time. And I will tell you, friends, spending time with your kids is not a check it off the list thing. I don't know about you. I love to spend time with my girls. I spent 40 minutes on the phone with my middle daughter this afternoon. I didn't walk away from that and check off the list. Oh, yeah, I'm done with that for a while. They ought to be the, some of the most favorite people you spend time with. I believe kids are crying out for just our attention, our time, our concern, our love. It doesn't have to be profound. It just means you're important to me. Very important to me. So um, the, the fourth thing. Oh, this is important. Don't hate sin. You want to raise a rebel? Don't hate sin. You know what I find a lot? A lot of parents today, they don't get fired up about anything. I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know how to explain this. Sometimes I work with some of these young millennial preachers, and sometimes I've had to say to some of these guys, what fires you up? Listen, if a preacher can't get fired up, he can't preach. I tell some of you young, these young guys, some of you guys can't preach out of a paper bag. If your passion was turning into dynamite, you wouldn't have enough dynamite to blow your nose. <laughs> they don't have any passion. Listen, there's, there's young men in this room, nothing fires you up. Nothing fires you up. It didn't fire you up if you see a kid get carnal. It didn't fire you up if somebody cusses. It doesn't fire you up if somebody's in a bed scene. It doesn't fire you up if somebody tells a dirty joke. It doesn't fire you up if somebody's looking at filth. Nothing fires you up. That's what's wrong with some of you millennials. Nothing fires you up. You don't have a passion for anything but yourself. And I'm just telling you. That's, I'm just, now listen. You know where that passion comes from? Many times it comes from mom and dad. And by the way, if it doesn't happen to mom and dad, thank God you're at least in a church got a preacher who's got something fired up about stuff. Amen. There's some things we ought to be fired up about. I remember when my dad, listen, you have to understand, my dad was as mild-mannered as they come. If my dad had preached this way, this week he would have never left the pulpit. His two hands would have been like this. He would have never raised his voice. He was extremely mild-mannered. One of the most mild-mannered men I've ever known. But I will tell you, friends, when something got in his crawl, man, I am telling you, he exploded. Not in anger, in passion. And I am told, and I can see it happening. One of his preacher boys was off in a church, committed adultery. And I'm telling you, my dad in the presence of those deacons and in the presence of that man who committed adultery walked over to the wall and he took that ordination certificate off the wall, took it out of there and ripped it in shreds and put it in the garbage can. I'm telling you, there ought to be some things that fire you up. Man, people don't get fired up about sin anymore. They watch the bed scenes in the movies, watch the filth, hear the curse words. They get up on Sunday, sing Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and watch 15 harlots take his name in vain while they're watching some Hollywood movie. Nothing fires them up. Listen, I remember my dad getting just fired up, going over and turning off the television. He said, we're not watching that stuff. When's the last time you've done that? Well, it's the last time you walked over, grabbed the DVD, snapped it in two, and said, I had no idea that. We're not watching that movie anymore. Your kids need to see a little bit of fire in you. I'm talking about you kid people that love them. I'm not talking about being angry toward them. I'm talking about being angry towards sin. Amen. I'm telling you, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. I want to ask you a question. Do you hate the froward mouth? You hate it when people cuss? Listen, if you sit in front of the television and people take God's name in vain and people use curse words and it doesn't, listen, don't be shocked if your kids use the words. I remember back when I was a kid, like I said in first grade, everybody in first, every filthy word I've ever heard, I heard from the lips of first graders. 
I didn't do it myself. I really didn't. I never used those words. As far as I remember, I never one time said one of those dirty words. The closest I ever came was on a morning where there was about an inch of snow. I know you folks in Atlanta don't know what snow is, but anyway, it's about an inch of snow. And I was walking to school and uh, trying to impress a buddy, and I remember just pinning a word, a dirty word in the, in the snow. That's the closest I ever came. But I will tell you, I remember the day we had a conversation at my table, at the dinner table. Remember back when families used to have dinner together? Do you remember that? We had a conversation at the dinner table, and you know what they were on? Dirty words. I don't even know how it started. And my siblings began to say, well, what does this word mean? And what does this word mean? And what does this word mean? My parents were probably shocked, but they didn't show it. They just handled it around stride. And my dad explained, that's a vulgar word. That's a dirty word. We shouldn't use that. He explained why. He explained the proper terms. As I remember it, it was an extremely wholesome conversation. But I remember afterwards, my mother was troubled. My mother could have been an Old Testament prophetess, okay? That's their personality. I mean, I'm telling you, she had fire. And I thank God for it. I probably preach more like my mother's personality than my dad's. Uh, though my mother didn't preach, obviously. She preached to me. But, uh, and I'm telling you, moms, you want to, listen, it's you moms that are going to turn out those preacher boys. Put the fear of God in their heart, the hatred of sin in their heart. Man, I'm telling you, you you're the ones who do it. My, I remember my mother looking at me with those brown eyes, troubled. And she said, Jimmy, you don't use dirty words, do you? That one sentence probably kept me from ever using a dirty word from that point on. <laughs> that one sentence. I want to ask you a question, friends. You want to raise a rebel? Don't hate sin. Just tolerate it. Watch compromised stuff. Watch movies that have stuff that grieves the Holy Spirit. Just do it. Watch programs where females are provocatively dressed. Yeah, watch stuff that mocks God, makes fun of God. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff. No rise. But I want to tell you something. You want to raise a kid's got something in them. They ought to see a little bit of fire. Come on, we're not watching that. I'm just simply saying a hatred of sin is a lost art, even in our independent churches, Baptist churches. We've lost it. I'm talking to young people in this room, you don't hate sin. I'm telling you, you're looking filth, you don't hate sin. You're looking at garbage YouTube videos, you don't hate sin. Some of you guys on TikTok, you don't hate sin, the junk you're looking at. Look, you, some of you can fool your parents, but you haven't fooled God. I'm just telling you, we've lost our hatred for sin. It's killing our churches. It's killing us. I'm just telling you, I remember back in the day, I know this sounds funny to some of you, I remember back in the day, if a girl, a guy and a girl couple held hands, it was a scandal. <laughs> That's not a scandal anymore. That's expected. Now we have girls getting pregnant and all kinds of other junk going on. There ought to be something, a little bit of fire in your eyes. Hey, listen, Dad, you better get you ready because you're going to have some boys knocking at the door. You know what I'm talking about? You better have a little bit of fear of God. You better look at a guy in the eye and you better ask the right questions and he better know you're not messing around. Amen. So uh, you want to raise a rebel? Don't hate sin. This is like unto it. You want to raise a rebel? Be conformed to the world. Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Hey, listen, friends. We're living in a day, I, it's like this. I remember my dad said very clear to me, he said, Jim, never be the last one to change styles, but never be the first one. Years ago, there's a young man that traveled both with your pastor and with me. He's now a pastor out in Wyoming. He got saved at 20 years old or 19, something like that. Drug dealer got saved, got transformed. I remember he was traveling three years later for me or three or four years later. And we would walk into Christian school lunchrooms. And here's what he'd say. See that kid there? He listens to Green Day. He says, that kid over here, he listens to Pearl Jam. He says, see that kid? And he would tell me what rock groups all the kids listen to. I said, how do you know? He said, and then he'd tell me, it could be a bracelet, it could be, it could be clothing, I, I can't remember it all. But can I say this? They were wearing the uniform. I don't know about you, I don't want to wear the world's uniform. I'm just not interested. I, I'm just telling you, friends, I don't want anybody to look at me and to think, yeah, 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 I know what he watches. Yeah, I, I, know, where, I know what 
I know a group of people. I don't want, I don't want that. I don't want to be identified with anything as iffy. You with me on this? Listen there, are, listen, there are young people that look like they got on the third story, jumped, and somebody held their jeans. That's the only way they could get into them. They're so tight you couldn't, you couldn't pull them off of them. It looks like they're spray painted on. Listen, I'm telling you, I, would, I wouldn't have anything to do with that kind of stuff. I'm not interested in that. I'm not gonna, it's, the point is, there are, there are kids in this room that are far more concerned about being cool than you are about being uh, a follower of Jesus Christ. Amen. I remember a couple of years ago, probably five years ago, I was traveling on a team, had two very mature young men with me, had a guy that was what I call entry level. He was young, like 17. At the end of the tour, I'll never forget, it, I was meeting with the two older guys. This kid comes in weeping. And he said, God's been dealing with me. He said, almost everything in my suitcase I bought because for the wrong motive, I bought it because I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be in. And I thought he was a little edgy, but hey, I'm old. I don't get all this stuff. And I'll never forget that night. He went up, gave up a testimony to the Christian school and then he took a large portion of his clothes and he threw them in the fire. And said, I'm done with it. And I will tell you, friends, I know this young man. I, I, I'll see him here in just a little bit. His life has been different ever since. Listen, friends, I'm just not interested in identifying with the, one, the, the world that hates God. If you want to identify with a world system that hates God, go ahead. But I'm telling you, God says, don't be conformed to the world. But if you're conformed to the world, you're not going to help your kids turn out for God. So, don't be conformed to the world, or be conformed to the world if you want to raise the rebel thing. How about this one? Next one. Wives, here I'm going to got a real good one here. This is really good. This is surefire. This is how you get rebels. I mean, this one works every single time. So, ladies, if you want to raise a rebel, do this. Disrespect their father. It works great. Because all you got to do is this. You say to your kids, I want you to obey and respect me just like I don't your father. It works great. You know what I'm talking about? I'm speaking tongue in cheek. Wives in this room have a great responsibility because you can teach your kids how to rebel really well. You can do a great job. I'm just telling you, so listen, some of you young girls, you want to get married one day? If you're not in submission to your parents, don't even think about it. Don't ruin some guy's life by coming to his life and bossing him around. Learn how to be submissive to your parents and have a right spirit toward your parents and get along with your dad. Hey, if you don't get along with your dad, good chance you're not getting along with your husband. So just wake up, smell the coffee. You said, well, preacher, i got a problem. You, well, if you're a young lady out here, get to Mrs. Ingram. She can help you learn how to have the right spirit toward your parents. I'm just telling you, we're messed up today. We are so messed up today. There's all kinds of people messed up today because we don't do it the Bible way. The Bible says, wives, reverence your husband. <laughs> do you know the word reverence is the same word God uses when he talks about us? We're supposed to reverence him. <laughs> So question, ladies, do you treat your husband like you treat God? Do you sigh at God? Do you roll your eyes at God? You kind of get where I'm coming from here? Because when you're doing that, you're treating, you're telling, teaching your kids, here's how you become a rebel. Watch me. May I say this? Your actions speak louder than words. You've probably heard that before. I'm just telling you, it works, it works just beautifully. So the wife ends up leading. And so that brings us to the second one, okay? This one works really good too, guys. This one's on you, because you're out here, some of you guys are saying, let her have it, preacher, yeah. I'm sorry, guys, I got most of the ammo for you. You want to raise a rebel? Don't love your wife. Don't love your wife. I want to ask you a question. My dad used to say, there's precious little in the Bible about marriage. Because if you do what is there, it works. 
So I want to ask you a question. If you had a husband who genuinely loved his wife and a wife who genuinely reverenced her husband, would the marriage work? And the answer is every single time. You know, that doesn't sound very complicated. You know, I don't know about you. I'm not a multitasker. It's like, give me one thing to do. At 12 noon, it's eat. Okay, you with me on that? Don't bother me while I'm eating. I'm not a multitasker. Now, you millennials may be multitaskers. Just give me one thing to do. And I will tell you, I'm really glad that God didn't overload this, this, uh, this uh, husband thing. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> he just says, got one responsibility. Here's what you need to do. Y'all love your wife just like I love the church. Well, let me just say, that's pretty obvious, but it's pretty impossible too. <laughs> you say, well, preacher. You see, you, you ladies out here thinking, now remember, you remember the Bible says you're supposed to reverence your husband like the church reverences Christ. That's real easy. You know why? Church doesn't do a very good job. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> but we got to love you like Christ loves the church. You know what that means? There's no margin for error on the deal. <laughs> I will tell you, men, and I'm saying it to myself, we are extremely selfish human beings. And I will tell you, I said it in the men's meeting, and I'm going to say it again. I'm telling you, women can be selfish. Don't get me wrong, but I think men have a greater propensity toward it. And there's not a woman in this room, and don't say amen, ladies, and hold on to your elbows just for a moment. There's not a woman in this room that cannot smell selfishness in a man. They can smell it. And if you think you're a good actor, I'm just telling you right now, you're deceived. She can smell it. She may be afraid to tell you, but she knows it's all about you. And you want to get what love is. Love means it's not about you, it's about her. And the Bible is simply saying, you want to raise a rebel? Just real, do it real good. It's like this. Many times, here's what we do as parents. We tell our kids, I want you to obey me just like I'm not obeying God. It doesn't work. Listen, dads, you can have problems with your wife, but you mark my words, you're teaching your kids the wrong thing. And wives, you can just say, God, I'm not doing that. I'm not reverencing that guy. But you are teaching your kids the wrong thing. You're saying, obey me, honor me, just like I'm not doing God. I'm not doing what God wants me to do. It doesn't work. So uh, these husband-wife things are extremely important. Okay, let's go to, um, in fact, somebody has said, the greatest thing you can do to rear your kids is to love their mother. I thought, wow, that's powerful. To love their mother. I want to tell you something, friend. My parents weren't perfect. My mom was as insecure as they come. She was orphaned. Nine years old, her mother dies of a brain aneurysm. Fourteen, her dad dies of old age. That's my grandfather. He was born in 1865. Did you hear that, what I just said? While Civil War bullets were being flown, my grandfather, not great-grandfather, my grandfather was born, 1865. So he died of old age when my, my mother was um, 14. He was 59 when she was born. As a result of having no parents, my mother was extremely insecure. She had a terrible time in the change of life. And, uh, but... And I'll tell you, the only thing got through was, was my dad and, obviously, more importantly, the Lord. My brother was seven years older than I. Pretty much my dad felt like we weren't ready to understand what was going on, but he brought my brother in on it. And my brother can use, his, use the illustration, some of you have heard him tell it, where he talks about the day that my dad said, Wayne, come in here. My mother was having a terrible time with the change of life, just a terrible time. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, some of you unmarried guys, when you get married, you better get somebody to help you figure out some of this stuff, okay, because it's coming. And by the way, I'm just going to say this here, the monthly issue is preparing you for the change of life issue, okay, that's, that's practice, okay, I'm just, just going to give you that, we'll just leave it right there, okay, but anyway, since we've got some kids in the room, but there we go. So, he, she was having a tough time. And I don't remember what my mother was saying or doing, but she was having a tough time. My dad went over and uh, gently hugged her and said to my brother Wayne, this is the greatest woman on planet Earth. My brother said he looked at my mother and she just relaxed. 
And she was saying things at that point she probably didn't mean, accusing my dad of, you know, not being loving her around. And my dad would acknowledge he wasn't perfect. But the point was, he, she didn't react to her. He put his arms around her and whispered words of love, and she relaxed. <laughs> I'm just telling you, this is, uh, this is where we're talking about real Christianity here. <laughs> Number eight, expect your kids to fail. Love, the Bible says, believeth, anybody know? All things. I know parents that expect their kids to fail instead of expecting their kids to do right. Do you know what happens when you expect your kids to fail? They will not disappoint you. And do you know what you happen is? You'll constantly be focusing on their failure. But do you know what happens if you expect them to do the right thing? You'll constantly be focusing on affirming when they do the right thing. I knew you'd do that. I knew you had a heart for God. I'm telling you, I look back to my mother, and I'm going to be honest with you, she was a remarkable woman. When I was preparing for the ministry in Bible college, I was a moron. You know what I'm talking about? I probably didn't realize I was a moron, but I look back, I'm thinking, you didn't know anything. Do you know what my mother would do when I was in Bible college? She would sincerely ask me Bible questions. And she wasn't joking. My mother had every message I preached, and it wasn't a lot of them, but she had every, and she had worn those tapes out, and she had taken notes, and she had said, she would tell me, boy, that was a real help in that message, and that was a real help in my message. And I will tell you, friends, that was absolutely, my mother expected me to succeed spiritually. Amen. Love believes all things. Amen. Love believes all things. So obviously if they do wrong, you have to deal with them. But it's kind of like, oh no, hey listen, no, we're going to deal with this because this is, this is where we're going. This is what God has for you. We've already talked about that some. Okay, let's go to the next one. Okay, don't ask, you want to raise a rebel? Don't ask questions. Don't ask questions. Just deal with an issue with however you want to. Uh, let's go to Proverbs 18. I know I've kept moving around here and I haven't really brought you along on some of the verses. My apologies. Go to Proverbs 18. I want you to see this one, verse number 13. Proverbs 18, verse number 13. Here's what it says. He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. I, I see this happen all the time. I try to encourage our, our faculty staff at Baptist College Ministry, when you deal with something, ask questions. And you know where I learned that? Traveling with college guys. Because I have found this, whenever I have dealt with the college guys without asking questions, I have always, I have always regretted it. Because I dealt with them and then I realized, oh, I didn't know all the facts. I didn't deal with that right. You got to ask questions. And not deal with what you assume is truth. So you want to raise a rebel? Don't ask questions. It's very important that you ask questions. I try to do it now all the time. So that I can assimilate what's going on. And I often will ask them questions, okay, uh, so let me, let me see if I'm getting this right. If, if this is the, kind of what you were thinking when this happened and et cetera, et cetera. And you're, whole lot, you're bringing them along and instead of them feeling like you misjudged them. Okay, let's go to another one. Um, this is going to take you just a few minutes to try to describe. Uh, I guess this would be number 10. Don't, don't lead them in how to find God's will. You want to raise a rebel? Don't lead them in how to find God's will. Now, let me just tell you something. Um, in, Bible, in the Bible, we've already talked a little bit about this. There are a lot of tension truths, so let me give you a tension truth. The, there's obviously a tension truth. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, there's that side. But there's another side that I believe particularly is important for adult children. Sometimes you might say to yourself, well, you know, what's the, tra what's the transition? How does this all work? Well, I want you to remember Kadesh Barnea. When they went to Kadesh Barnea and the children of Israel said, we're not going in. We're not going in. And then God came along and said, okay, fine. You're going to all die in the next 40 years. Now, I want to ask you a question. How old were you? How old could you be and not die in the next 40 years? Does anybody know the age? 19 or younger. If you were 19 or younger... And you submitted to your parents and didn't go into Kadesh Barnea, God didn't hold it against you. Your parents died in the next 40 years, but you didn't. 
But if you were 20 years and older and did not go into Canaan land, uh, didn't obey God and go in, and you were part of that, then you died in the next 40 years. You know what that teaches me? That at 20 years old, you are responsible to know God's will. You cannot be passive about God's will. You need Amen. to know it. Amen. Sometimes people say, well, Brother Van Gelder, why are you in youth evangelism? Because your dad told you to? No, absolutely not. You know why I'm in youth evangelism? Because God called me. And I will tell you, friends, here's what the problem is. The kid with a little rebellion in his heart, so I'm 20, I can do my own thing. That's not what we're talking about. It's not doing your own thing. It's doing what God wants you to do. At 20 years old, you are responsible. Listen, there are 20-year-olds, 21 years old, 23, 25, whatever year olds. You don't know how to find the will of God because you don't know God. At 20 years old, you are responsible, young man, young lady, to find the will of God. Now, if your dad says go to such such a college at 18, go. If he says go at 19, go. But at 20, you are responsible before Almighty God to know the will of God. You say, why are you preaching so hard? Because I'm telling you, I'm getting sick and tired of 20-somethings who have no idea what their life is all about. It is your, listen, mom and dad, it's your responsibility to teach them how to find the will of God and know it. And then, young people, you need to find the will of God and know it. There is nothing in all the world as wonderful as waking up in the morning and thinking, I'm in the will of God. <laughs> but there's a lot of millennials that are clueless. Just clueless. And, well, I'm just, you know, waiting for my dad to tell me what to do. I'm telling you, friends, I'm waiting for my heavenly dad to tell me what to do. I'm not against parents counseling and parents strengthening and helping. But the bottom line is, God says, you're responsible to find my will. And I will tell you, friends, your parents are there to be a safety. Don't get me wrong. If your parents say, no, we don't think that's God's will. Well, you certainly are going to have to pray and fast and wrestle through it. I get that. But the point is, you've got to, you've got to be on the journey. You're not waiting for somebody else to tell you God's will. You've got to find it. And we need some young people that got some gum, gumption and realize God's called me to do something. God's got a will for my life. And if it's I die in the attempt, I'm going to find God's will and do it by the grace of God. So you want to raise a rebel? Don't teach him how to find God's will. Because it's important. Listen, anybody 20 years old in this room needs to know where you're going spiritually. You need to know it. And if you don't, can I say this carefully? You're in spiritual immaturity. Get with it. Get alone with God. Find God. Meet with God. Get a sense of God's call on your life. And may I say to every person in this room, every, sometimes we look at that passage of Scripture and it says, Lord, you know, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers. Now listen, friends, I'm all for young people giving their lives to full-time Christian work and God calls young people to full-time Christian work. But every young person and adult in this room has been called, all of us, to be full-time Christians. All of us do. We got a job in the harvest field. All of us do. I'm just, just telling you, we got to get a, get a hold of God's will. Okay, that brings us to uh, number 11, I think it is. To mom and dad, you want to raise a rebel? Don't be sensitive to God's working in your kids' lives. Listen, I will tell you, if you do it right, your kids were probably more conservative than you are. I'm getting sick and tired of kids being looser than their parents. I want to tell you something, friends. My parents were great parents, but I'm going to tell you right now, I have done it a whole lot more conservative than my parents were. And I'm telling you, not because they put a gun to my head, it's because I wanted to be. I'm not conservative just to be conservative. It's what I believe God led me to. God's led me to more strict standards than my parents had. I'm not saying that's, that's patting myself on the back. I'm just saying I'm getting sick and tired of kids being more worldly than their parents. The next generation ought to be tougher on it. And say, man, we're going to be careful over here. We're going to be careful over here. We're going to be careful over here. And you know what happens many times? Kids go off to camp, get right with God, and they come home and their parents put cold water on the fire. Amen. They come back and say, Mom, Dad, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Well, son, listen, I wouldn't do that if you want to raise a rebel. Just throw cold water. And I've seen it all the time. I've seen kids on fire and Mom and Dad puts the cold water on it. I, one kid, God, I mean, revived. He came home to his dad who happened to preach a preacher. That's what makes it worse. And he said, Dad, God's going to send revival to America. And the dad put cold water on it. Doused him with unbelief. And that guy is a wreck today. And I'll tell you why he's a wreck. 
because his dad wasn't sensitive to God working his heart. Well, you say, preacher, that's kind of unrealistic that God's... Listen, I would to God we had some 21-year-olds that believed God was going to send revival to America and believed it. I'm not putting cold water on that. But we got parents put cold water on it. Oh, that's ridiculous. You know, you can watch that TV program. Oh, that's ridiculous. That music's okay. Oh, that's over the top. Listen, you may think it's over the top, but maybe God's doing something in your kid's heart. Maybe he's going to be a Nazarite. <laughs> God's going to make them a little different. I want to tell you something. You can just mark it down. You know what prophets do? They eat honey and wear camel's hair. They're weird. And if you don't want your kid to be weird, you can just mark prophet off it. Because if you're a prophet, you're a little odd. You're a little off. You're the one voice. I remember one time, I'm not claiming to be a prophet, but I remember one time preaching a message on moral purity. An old pastor got up, and I think he was a little embarrassed by the message. He said, today we've heard the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I want to tell you something, friends. We need a lot of young people in this room crying in the wilderness. Somebody stick. Listen, some of you kids, I'm not trying to be kind, but I'm just telling you nothing burned. Nothing burdens you. Nothing fires you up. Nothing breaks your heart. Nothing does. I'm telling you, you ought to have something you're burdened about. This, this can't happen. Boy, that person needs to get saved. God, you got to work over here. God, this can't happen over here. Listen, you start compromising, you won't have any fire in your heart. I'm just telling some of you young people, you just wake up, smell the coffee, get a hold of God. I'm telling you some great things could happen in your life. I love it when kids catch fire. I love it when a kid gets out. I remember a kid got up to a fire in Edinburgh, Virginia, looked out there and said, I'm sick of the music. I'm done with the world music. I'm thrown in the fire. I remember another kid got rid of his video games. Another kid in his Christian school the day, uh, the week after we left, came up to him and started talking video games. He looked him in the face and said, don't you ever talk to me about video games again. I'm done with them. You say, preacher, that's a little over top. I'd rather have that kid than the kid that spends his life in front of a video screen. You say, that's a little over the top. I don't care. If you ever want, listen, it's not going to hurt him never to do a video game again. I'm just telling you, we, we, you, you, you want to raise a rebel, just throw a little cold water on your kid's enthusiasm and fire. I don't care if it's more conservative than you are. They walk out of the room and say, Mom, I can't watch that. I'm telling you, don't throw water, cold water on that. It happens all the time. And I've seen these kids at the campfire service. I've seen the fire in their eyes. I've seen them. I remember one old kid got saved at Rutgers River, Virginia. And I mean, he had that old, you know, that, that old haircut where they had the, the shaved the head on one side and the big long uh, bangs down over one eye. I don't know if you remember that. Back in the 80s, he got saved. He got up in front of the fire. He said, man, if you don't get saved, you're going to burn on the fire. You're going to burn and die and go to hell. And his little blonde thing was flipping and flopping. I said, oh, I've never seen that before. And he's pointing to the fire, preaching, man. I'm thinking, hallelujah for some fire. There's some guys in this room. You couldn't absolutely do that because you have no fire in your heart. You're so compromised with the junk you're doing. You're not willing to unload the truck. You're not willing to deal with all the junk in your life. And you have nothing, no fire. I'm just telling you, we need some young people, some millennials, some Gen Z that I'm telling you are fired up about the fact God's got a call on their life. Amen. It's the need of the hour. Listen, our Bible colleges are full of guys that have no fire. They're far more in concern about painting their auditorium black and, uh, and uh, having some rock band up there. They're far more concerned about being con uh, contemporary than they are having the power of God on their life. It's killing us. It's absolutely killing us. Listen, the world doesn't need a worldly Christianity. They need a Christianity where Jesus has showed up. Because it's just killing us. It's just killing us. I don't know how to explain it. And the last one, here it is. You want to raise a rebel? Don't walk with Jesus. Because I will tell you, the greatest thing you can do for your kids is be a channel of the presence of Jesus Christ. I will tell you, as I've mentioned before, I know I talk a lot about my parents, but the, pardon it, it's the only ones I had, so it just is what it is. But they weren't perfect, but I will tell you, there were many moments where I knew Jesus was in that home. The real, listen, the reality of Jesus Christ I've never really struggled with much. You say, why? Well, it's hard to struggle with the reality of Jesus when he was showing up in your home all the time. My parents were the real deal. They weren't perfect. They have issues. Like I mentioned, my mom, highly insecure. It was only Jesus. I, well, the amazing thing is my siblings aren't that insecure at all. <laughs> so how did you do that? She walked with Jesus. That's how she did it. She didn't transfer her insecurity. 
I owe my mother a tremendous debt of gratitude for the wonderful mother that she was. Walking with Jesus simply, my friend, is that divine dynamic where you are so in tune with Jesus Christ that you bring the presence of Jesus into the home. And I will tell you something, friends. Both my parents, as I mentioned, didn't come from good homes. My dad, as I said, came from a home where his dad was as carnal as the day is long, but his mom walked with Jesus. And I will tell you something, friends, it couldn't have been easy. It couldn't have been easy. Listen, some of you dear women live in homes where it's not easy because your husband's got issues. I understand that. I recognize that. Some of you may be here alone tonight. I don't know. I recognize that. But I'm telling you, you can walk with Jesus and impact your kids. I want to tell you something, when you want to raise a rebel, just don't walk with Jesus. Just go through the motions. I'm not saying it's wrong to come to church, but I want to tell you, if you're coming to church not meeting with Jesus, I'm hoping that enough here happens that the church will catch a hold of them, but it's a whole lot better if Jesus goes home with them. A whole lot better. Amen. I remember, um, I can't remember who, I mean, how many just say this? It's, as I mentioned, 25 years since my dad went to heaven, I cannot go six months. I'm telling you the honest truth. I cannot go six months without somebody coming to me telling me about either mother or father or both and how they impacted their life. Within the last six months, that's happened to me. Happens every six months. And my, like I said, my dad's been gone 25 years. My mom's been gone 32 years. That's kind of remarkable. I'm going to tell you why. Because whenever you meet Jesus, he impacts you. I remember a man coming up to me, and here's what he said to me. He said, Brother Van Gelder, and he said, I really didn't know your dad. He said, to be honest with you, I never met him except one time. He said, I met him at an airport. He said, we spent 45 minutes together at the gate. Now, don't miss this. He said, that 45 minutes changed my life. Can I say this carefully? How can 45 minutes with anybody change your life? And the answer is it can't. But if Jesus is there, it'll touch your life. Amen. It'll touch your life. Wow. I'm just begging you, friend. You say, well, preacher, I'm not talking about living perfectly. None of us ever will. I'm just talking about learning to walk in tune with Jesus Christ. Learn to spend time with God. I, I can't preach a whole message on it right now. You, you, you are here at Canaan understand it to some degree. At least it's preached here. Whether or not you understand it, you may have not been listening. But if you've been listening, you get it. You understand what it means. You want to raise a rebel? Don't walk with Jesus. Because when Jesus cuts through, Christianity becomes real. Hey, listen, kids, I'm telling you something. Some of you kids out here, I, I want to just tell you right now, Jesus Christ is real. You may not see them at home, and you may think the rest of these people are hypocrites, but I'm telling you, they're not perfect people, but I guarantee you there's people in this room who walk with Jesus. And if your mom and dad don't walk with Jesus, I want to tell you, don't get disillusioned because Jesus is real, and if you start walking with him, I'm telling you, you're going to find out that Jesus is the sweetest friend you'll ever have. I'm talking to some of you kids out here. Stop. Listen, you just need to stop all this junk, turn off your video games, and start meeting with Jesus. Stop living in a virtual world that doesn't exist and start living in a spiritual world that's going to last for eternity. Amen. And if your, kid, if your parents don't live for Jesus, you'll hang around this church and start finding people who do walk with Jesus and to find out the reality that Jesus is in the business of changing lives. And hallelujah, he's doing it right here at Canaan Baptist Church. See, that's what it's all about, friends. It's all about. Years ago, at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England. A man had come at great distance to hear the famed Prince of Preachers, C.H. Spurgeon. How many have ever heard of C.H. Spurgeon? When he got to the Metropolitan Tabernacle, he was deeply disappointed because the tabernacle was packed. There were no overflow rooms in that day, no technology. If you didn't get in, you didn't get in. The man was deeply disappointed, and there was an usher that noticed his disappointment. He said, what, what's up? And he said, well, I've come at great distance. I've never heard C.H. Spurgeon. He said, I want to hear him this morning. The usher beamed. He loved his preacher. He said, I'll tell you what. I'll give you my seat on one condition. You tell me what you think of my preacher, Spurgeon. Eagerly, the man agreed he took the seat, he sat in the service, and 
As soon as, of course, he was toward the back where the ushers would be, and as soon as the service was over, the usher was eagerly waiting. He loved to hear people brag about his preacher. The doors were open, and the man bolted right past the usher like he was in a daze. The usher was a little offended. I mean, he'd given a seat. And so he ran after the man and he touched the man on the shoulder and said, Sir, I thought you were going to tell me what you thought of my preacher Spurgeon. And the man looked back in awe. He said, I never saw him. I only saw Jesus. I want to ask you a question, Mom and Dad. One day at your funeral, would your kids be able to stand behind the pulpit giving testimony and saying, there were many moments I never saw Dad. There were many moments I never saw Mom. I only saw Jesus. Could I ask every head bowed and every eye closed?